Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. I wanted to finish up the college admissions conversations we've been having this month with a favorite from the archives, featuring two more college admissions experts. This conversation was taped in 2021, so you'll hear a bit about how the pandemic was more directly impacting the process. But there's so much timeless, great advice in this episode, I just had to bring it back. So let's get started. Today, I am thrilled to welcome two great guys, a team of experts, to talk about a subject near and dear to so many parents, the college admissions process. Jacques Steinberg is the New York Times bestselling author, a former New York Times education journalist, and a member of the board of the National Association for College Admissions Counseling. And he's also provided his college admissions expertise during several appearances on the Today Show. Eric Ferda spent decades immersed in the college admissions process, first as the executive director of admissions at Columbia University, and then as the dean of admissions of the University of Pennsylvania. And now Eric has taken his talents to the other side of the process as he's joined the college counseling team at William Penn Charter School in Philadelphia. These two college admissions experts have banded together to write The College Conversation, a practical companion for parents to guide their children along the path to higher education, which was published last fall. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Jacques and Eric. Thank you, Carol. Thanks for having us, Carol. Great to be with you again. Yes, it's so great to have you both here. Eric, we have known each other for quite some time and have worked together over the years to help parents and students feel more comfortable about the college admissions process. And I had the pleasure of meeting Jacques through Eric when you both asked me to chat with you about some of the issues you were focusing on in your book, The College Conversation. This is a really great book that provides parents with a step-by-step approach to having important conversations during the college admissions process, and some of them can be really tough, with less stress and more success. And I want to spend time talking about all the helpful guidance that you give parents on how to support their children as they navigate their way to college. But before we do, I'd just like to take a few minutes at the start to talk about the potentially more stressful conversations parents and children are having these days as they focus on college plans during the pandemic. So let's just start there. I'm curious to hear your impressions of the impact of this this current circumstance on both the process for the people on the inside, the college admissions and, and directors and the high school counselors, and then the impact on the students. And starting with the people on the inside, are, are the fundamentals the same despite the differences in the way that students have to approach the process? I'll start with you, Eric. <laughs> well, well, thank you. And you know, there is so much within the, the framing of your question, which is fantastic because you know, you're recognizing that there's students and families, there's individuals on the high school side as counselors, and then the individuals within the, the college admission offices themselves. And you, and you asked about that group. You know, just stepping out of the Penn admission office at the end of 2020 and making that transition and knowing, you know, the work that's in front of them, you know, working remotely, having the committees convene. And so I would answer the question as they're continuing their work in the same thoughtful manner as they always have. Mm-hmm. I've had experience, you know, needing to do this remotely because we started that last March when we finished. When I really think about it, it was a year ago, Carol, hmm. when we last stepped off of the college, you know, campus at, at the University of Pennsylvania. And so, you know, some of the muscles have been trained in order to do this work. And so I think the fundamentals are still there while obviously needing to adjust to how that work is getting accomplished. That is actually good news, Eric. Um because I think a lot of parents uh, and students are really freaked out by the fact that so much has changed. It's really important for them to hear that the people that are in the admissions office are doing the same work that they always do, which is looking at applications and trying to construct students' profiles. And just because they may not have as much of one kind of information as they used to, this is what they're used to doing. Isn't that right? Just pulling students' profiles together? Yes, and needing to go through the different components of the application. And Jacques and I actually go through the components of the application in the book. So when you could really put each layer on top of each other, we call it a mosaic, right, Jacques? And that's that's what they're doing in the admission offices right now. And Jacques, let me ask you about your thinking on how this is impacting um, students and parents as they start to think about their approach, thinking about parents of juniors who are just starting the process but they're starting it in such an unusual circumstance. Um, 
how do you think that parents, and I'm focusing on parents right now because that's our, our listeners, how do you think that parents should um, calm their children with respect to starting this process in this current circumstance? Well, and first of all, is just to be honest that this is already a bewildering process <laughs> for families of, of high school juniors and younger. And, and we've just layered a pandemic on top of it, a, a pandemic that is ongoing. So I think first, just acknowledging it's really hard. And if it feels hard, um, that that's a normal response, and uh, and and th that should be recognized. Um, on the other hand, there are some things that should give you comfort. First of all, Eric's point um, that you know standardized test scores may be test optional. Um, you may not have uh, immediately completed extracurricular activities. Um, you may not have been in a physical classroom, and and yet we heard Eric say that the fundamentals of this process are the same. Um, admissions office officers are going to work extra hard uh, to really get a sense of the whole student, that holistic process, that mosaic Eric mentioned. And so that should give families confidence. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that should give them confidence is that um, the colleges have really rallied in terms of putting online resources, uh, tours, information sessions, opportunities for chat, and, and they've really upped their game. And so it is possible uh, to take the measure of a school online in ways that were not possible a year ago. And then I would say the third thing to give comfort is that we all have to take the long view. If you're a junior in high school, um, you're talking about entering college no sooner than the fall of 2022. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about a four-year experience. So I, I hope that while recognizing that something hard uh, seems even harder, um, that there are lots of reasons to, to sort of uh, bring calm and confidence to this as well. That, that's, that's great, Jacques. You know, you're, you're mentioning that the colleges have really done an incredible job of moving a lot of their uh, visiting experience online. It reminds me that there may be some ways that parents and students can use the online process together. I mean, normally we would say, go visit the schools. And and normally now parents would leave that to the student. But might it not be a good idea for parents and students to sit together in front of the computer and, and <laughs> pretend they're on a college visit? <laughs> well, one of, one of my favorite parts of the college conversation is when you, Carol, describe uh, visiting a campus with your daughter and the dynamic that you both have. And it's you know unbelievably instructive in terms of your respective roles and things you did together. Mm -hmm. and, and things that you did separately. And, and we talk a lot at the front of the book, in part inspired by you, uh, about parent and child um, sort of co-creating ground rules, mm -hmm. um, guardrails and boundaries. And so this is a perfect example. Are you going to take a virtual tour together or are you going to take them separately and compare notes? Mm -hmm. Are you going to attend that information session together and, and sit there shoulder to shoulder? Or are you each going to do it on your own? Does your child want you to do it at all? Mm -hmm. um, these are absolutely the right questions and parent and child or adult and child can, can kind of figure out together. Mm -hmm. Just as a side note, I would say to parents that are looking at this, you still have to have a master calendar because I've been looking online and you have to actually sign up for these things, even though they're virtual. So the, the, the concept of um, planning out a trip, while you don't have to leave your room, <laughs> you do have to make plans in terms of timing. So I love the concept of parents sitting in another room and comparing notes. It's, I think it's always helpful, as it was when I visited uh, physically with my children, to have another pair of eyes. I mean, not judging eyes, but just another pair of eyes who will catch something that the student might miss. So I like that idea. And, and that actually segues very nicely into one of my favorite things in the book, which I talk about all the time, which is the index, what I call the index card challenge, <laughs> which is a game <laughs> that parents and students and their children can play. Uh, um, and in terms of helping children know themselves and, and know the process and define their expectations for college. Just so the parents listening know, I am not going to go through the entirety of this wonderful book. You are going to have to go get this book and read it on your own, as I highly recommend you do. But I'm just going to highlight a few sections of the book that I found were particularly interesting and, and helpful and novel ways to look at this process. So first of all, there are lots of interactive things in the book, lots of activities you can do together. And the first one is the index card challenge. And Eric, since this is sort of your baby, or at least I first heard of it from you, why don't you talk a little bit about what that index card um, challenge is? 
certainly. And I, I think you should, you know, you, you can coin that term. I love it. I've never heard the index <laughs> card challenge, which so Jacques and I, you know, we we recognize the technology age that we're in, but we like scribbling down notes. But it's this concept of writing down your ideas when they come to you. Maybe it's a parking lot idea that you need to revisit later on. But this is really in the college conversation how we want both student and family members to really imagine for themselves what their college experience, characteristics, attributes, as we call them, just jot down in a free form, maybe six words, six ideas about what the college environment that they hope to see themselves in as a student to do that. And Jacques and I really discussed to have them do this exercise separately mm -hmm. so that, you know, on one side of the room is a student with an index card jotting down whatever the keywords and attributes are for the college experience that they hope for. And then the parent doing the same thing through the lens of what they feel would be kind of the ideal college experience. And in parens, Jacques put, you know, it's, it's not going to be perfect, right? <laughs> but the whole point here is alignment. And we talk a great deal in the college conversation about alignment. So when you come back together with those index cards, you're going to see some words that are I I identical, some words that may have the same meaning. They're just different ways of describing it. And then, you know, further down, maybe some ideas that are not in line with each other, which is fine. This is a conversation starter. Mm -hmm. But to understand what that starting point is like, where there's overlap, and in those points where maybe we need to have a discussion later on because we're hoping for two very different things. Mm -hmm. This is really the roughest of rough drafts. It's it's free associating, it's words and phrases. And, and one of the things that I love that Eric embeds into this exercise is do not write down the names of specific colleges. <laughs> Too early for that. That'll come. And and don't write a description of a college so specifically that it's obvious <laughs> that of what it is. That it, it's it's really just sort of attributes. Mm -hmm. I've thought a lot about this index card challenge because I wish it had been around when I was going through this process with my children. And as as I describe it to others, one of the things that I suggest that parents and students uh, do independently is jot down in addition to the attributes that you'll be looking for or you'll be looking for for your child, things that most excite you and most concern you about the process. So Eric, the next part of this is you write this down and then you get back together and then you share them and and then you kind of put them away for a while. Isn't that right? I mean, you you hold on to them. You do. And, you know, Carol, what you have done with the book is exactly what Jacques and I had hoped for. You took a concept and you iterated on it in a way that, you know, also write down what's going to excite you the most. I mean, that's wonderful. It's like thinking of the positive. It's like, mm -hmm. I am really looking forward to whatever it is. And so, you know, that's what we hope for with our, with our readers is that they're going to take this and just fly with it in, in different directions. This is the first of about a dozen activities that we have in the book. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be times later on where you may need some grounding for ground control parenting, right? You're going to have to come back for, with some grounding to say, okay, I'm really moving in a direction and I'm excited by it. But then you're going to check yourself just to say, okay, maybe I'm going in a different direction. And that's what research is about. And that's mm -hmm. fantastic. Or are you excited about something that is actually leading you away from what the goal really is? Because I had the greatest tour guide, wonderful, while did you really find that those other pieces that really mattered to you were were there. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. maybe I'll just put it this way to sum it up is how relevant is that index card now that you've changed, you've grown, you're going through this process. Maybe some of those pieces have changed because of your own learning. And that's wonderful. Recognize that. That's great. One other thing about this sharing of the index card early on is that it encourages the beginning of a conversation. If you, the parents say, I think they should, they'd really love a school that's really remote with a thousand students. And the student says, I really want an urban campus with a, with a, a thousand people in my class as opposed to in the school. 
you're so early in the process that you can talk about this non-judgmentally. You're not at loggerheads. You can just learn. And, and parents, the thing about this, you should really just listen. The point of this is not so that your child hears what you think. <laughs> it's more so that <laughs> so that you hear what your child think and I, thinks. And I think that that's something that comes throughout the book, that parents should really listen to their children along the way. No, it's uh, a lot of these conversations starters are intended to be a little bit one sided mm -hmm. in that uh, you as a parent or another adult in a child's life are going to get that conversation going. And then, as you say, um, sort of hang back and listen. And yet we don't, uh, again, in the spirit of ground control parenting, um, we don't want you to abdicate your role as a parent. Uh, you have life experience. Um, you uh, know your child. Um, you um, have a financial interest in this and, and there may be some financial boundaries. Mm -hmm. So. Um, we, we don't want you to be passive, but but those those ground rules that we talked about co-creating at the beginning um, can can facilitate. I want to skip ahead to another exercise in terms of beginning the college search. And that is the famous Eric Furta four C's, but it's actually four plus one C. <laughs> and these are the um, ways that parents can help their children navigate through the many, many college options. Okay, you've, you've gotten past the early stages where you have a sense of what you might like, and now you have to take a look at the colleges that exist and figure out how you can pull, make your college list. So there are four C's that, that you guys have talked about in this book um, that you can use as a, as a guideline to how, how you should find your college. You can you can split them up. <laughs> I'll start with you. Do you want to talk about the, the first couple of C's? <laughs> first of all, it's important. We're going to talk about the four C's and we'll divide and conquer. I'll do two and Eric will do two. Um, but families listening, they should make these their own. Um, they can edit these categories and they don't have to be so neat. Maybe there's different letters that work better for them. But um, we see this as sort of an initial framing, as Eric said earlier, to make your own. So it's it's sort of a yardstick, a rubric, as you are, um, as a young person looking at colleges and as a parent, helping support that process. And, and these are um, categories that you can look at colleges against and start to differentiate. So the first C is culture. Um, what is the history and mission of that institution? Um, how does that mission resonate with your child as a potential applicant today? Um, how does that mission resonate on campus today? So as you start to look at colleges, um, they can look a lot uh, alike. Uh, when you look at something like culture, um, at least as we've defined it, suddenly they start to look a little bit different. And, and as in the spirit of the index card, you can keep a record of your impressions, your child can, whether it's on a legal pad, index card, spreadsheet, Google Doc, your phone, whatever works. Um, the second C is curriculum. And, and we're really talking about beyond a listing of majors and programs that a school offers, or even whether certain courses are required. What's the design and aim of the courses your child might take over four years? Uh, as you start to look at curriculum as defined by that, suddenly colleges start to look different. Some will start to pop, um, some will start to fall. And uh, I, I will throw to my uh, co-author for the uh, the uh, C's three and C four. Well, before I, I, I before we get to the second two C's, I want to <laughs> ask a couple of questions about questions about um, the first two culture, which makes all the sense in the world. The, the the vibe of the campus, the way the students interact, the the way it feels is something that students can't get at this very moment, and so. I've, I've been thinking about what some other ways of of getting a sense of the culture. Clearly, you'll be able to look online, and to many universities' credits, they have put a lot of resources into trying to uh, trying to display their culture, trying to give students a sense of of what it's like. But but what are some of the other ways that a student can can sort of sense culture? Maybe they can reach out to current students, or I mean, it's it's a harder thing to do virtually, don't you think? Yeah. So, I mean, my background is as a journalist, and I would encourage young people and parents to be very journalistic. Your phrase, reach out. Um, you, you may have to do some legwork online, uh, but think of the conversations you could have online with 
pick your student organization that you're particularly interested in. Um, maybe this is an institution that says that uh, it really does a great job on uh, inclusion and, and, and diversity and equity. Um, well, let's test them on that. Uh, there are probably a series of organizations you could reach out to, your child could reach out to, um, have a FaceTime call, have a Zoom call, ask your questions uh, mm -hmm. as if you were, and, and no, you're not going to have that serendipitous bump into somebody in the cafeteria and ask them a question. Um, but it's possible to learn a lot through technology. Mm -hmm. um, also, we're hopeful that um, by the spring of uh, 2022, um, as students have received uh, admissions decisions, including acceptances, uh, perhaps it will be possible then, perhaps it will be possible in the fall of 21 to visit. Mm -hmm. But um, if you're willing to work a little bit harder and, and use technology to reach out, I would argue that you could learn a lot about culture um, as well as, uh, just as a spoiler alert, a C that is coming up, uh, community, which is very related to, to culture. Same thing. Um, that sort of journalistic outreach can teach you a lot. And, and that is a great segue to you, Eric, to talk about the other two Cs. <laughs> so I think that's a great segue that Jacques set up in that the Cs are interconnected and culture and curriculum, you know, can come together in some ways. As an example, well, there's some subjects within the, the within the curriculum that all students will take because it's building on the culture of the institution. Maybe it's a foundational course that all students will take because it really feeds into the history and makes it relevant today. Community, how often families do you hear from admission offices that we admit students from around the world, 50 states, Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, 82 countries are represented in the class. You know, here's the, the demographic background of the class. And that's all, you know, it's, it's reporting. It is, it, it's helping individuals, families understand where the student body is coming from. The difference between that and community is, okay, you have all these people. How are you going to help plan for them actually to learn from and with one another? And this is where we can't just leave it to chance. And as Jacques said, we do want some serendipity and we want those unplanned excursions to take place. While if you think about the people who are on a campus physically and even virtually, because that had to be established as well, is what are the spaces? What are the programs? What are the college houses like? You know, what is that main place, the main green, the college green, the steps in front of the library, the walk that goes through the campus, pulling on places that I'm really familiar with here is, you know, and then how do those individuals that have been admitted as a class come together? And, you know, that's really the foundation of community and all the relationships that you would like to see grow, not only in the student body, but then also with the faculty. How do you facilitate those interactions? And that creates the larger communities that a student will experience. So what's really exciting for students is you kind of know what it is that you're looking for sometimes. I'm this particular type of student. I'm going to look for the research labs. I'm going to look for the music room. Jacques is looking for, you know, the, the newspaper. And, you know, as you continue to grow, it becomes the newspaper and the lab and. And that's what we really want to see happen. And so community is not fixed. It does have that growth mindset. And we hope that students will expand their circles and their communities as they go through their four years. And, and in terms of questions you can ask, doing this sort of journalistic due diligence, hey, what sort of community is this? Whether you're initially starting your due diligence online and eventually in person, how supportive is that community? Is it cutthroat or is it kind? Mm -hmm. um, how happy are the students? I mean, there are campuses that, that tend to be some happier than others. Obviously, you can't overgeneralize. But just by asking a range of students questions like that, um, are students helpful to each other or competitive with each other? Or maybe it's some kind of a mix. Um, how, how supportive is the institution if, if you're struggling? Um, these are all, I would say, expansions of that definition of community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the fourth C would be? <laughs> so the fourth C is conclusions. Families are looking for outcomes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a time investment. It's a financial investment. It's an emotional investment. It's an investment in so many different dimensions. And, 
you want to have a sense of, you know, what opportunities are there beyond graduation, certainly. And so you could think about statistics of graduate school placement, jobs right out of graduation, look at alumni surveys 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, you know, so you have more of a longitudinal sense of what the graduates are doing. And I would actually bring it even closer in, particularly as you're taking a look at schools and thinking about what's the, and this goes to what Jacques was saying before about the wellness of students as well. What's the retention rate from your first year of college to the second year of college? How many students are returning? A lot of the national statistics, most of the federal data on graduation rates are after six years, six years. I mean, many families, Carol, that are listening to your podcast right now aren't thinking six years. They're like, honey, you know, <laughs> son, you're graduating after four years. So how realistic is that under the best of circumstances? And, you know, really looking at those markers to see what those conclusions or outcomes are for many students and families. And where do you find that information? Is it on the website? Quite often, and, and Jacques and I reference students to the common data set, uh, mm -hmm. which is a rich data set that is collected. And if you just put it in the name of any school that you're looking at and put in common data set, there's, there's data around graduation rates. There's mm -hmm. also, if you'd like to see a larger then instead of going school by school, federal database from the National Center for Education Statistics. And if you pull up the NCES data right now, you're going to see cohorts that entered in 2013. So you're going to be looking at this. I just ran this data and I see 2013. I must have done something wrong. No, you haven't, because they're reporting out six-year graduation rates and it lags a little bit with federal data being collected. So that's a national database that families can look to. You know, it strikes me that this is information that's really helpful for parents because your, your child may not be as focused on this as, a, as an issue that should be of great concern. But if you're helping him or her sort through a lot of different options, if they are indifferent as to several schools and one of them has a, a really low rate of students going from the first to the second year successfully, that's a data point that needs to be talked about. And so this might be an area where parents can actually dive in on their own to get this information. Here's an instance where parents could actually do some helpful journalistic digging on their own. <laughs> and, and also bring that parent perspective of, of, of knowing that the long view is important, return on investment. There are colleges in this country where three of every four students don't graduate in six years, let alone four. Hmm. That data is knowable and a student might not pay attention to it, um, but we as parents can bring it at least to their attention. Do you look look at the odds of graduating? And, and that's a really good, it's a really good time to do this now because you're not saying to your child, you won't be able to get out of this school in this number of years because of something you're doing, but more that this school has a, for whatever reason, students are having trouble with this. So it's it's actually, it, it helps the, the, the child begin to think of this college experience as something that they're actually going to be doing and their parent has faith in them to do, but, but that there are other forces that interfere. So it's, it's actually, a, it's a good part of the conversation to have before you're narrowing it down to one or two schools. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show. So... Now I'm going to ask about that fifth C, that C, that the four plus C, and that is costs, which for every parent who is sending a child to school, that that for them may be the first C. <laughs> but we talked about this in, in your book. This is one of the things I talked with you about, that the importance of having these conversations with your child early on to talk about costs openly. How should a student be looking at the costs and, and what should the family do together about them? Yeah, and, and as you point out, just because we're ranking this the fifth or the fourth plus one, um, we know that um, for so many families, it's the number one C. It's the number one factor. It's a luxury um, to not worry about cost. And uh, this may be the first time in the life of your family that you've had a conversation about money, um, that, um, that you as a parent or adults in their life have talked about 
what your earnings are, what your savings are, what you're willing to spend on college in addition to what you've saved for it, what your expectation is from your child. And um, really, really difficult conversation to have, but but the right moment to have it early. Um, it would be heartbreaking for a student to get far down the line in terms of falling in love with a particular college that's never going to be realistic uh, from a financial perspective. So having those guidelines and guardrails and really educating yourselves early about colleges that have need-based aid and, and merit-based aid, you know, aid based on um, your financial wherewithal versus aid based on how you may have performed in school or performed on tests and, and knowing which schools offer which, um, uh, the difference between an in-state public university and what that expense might be um, compared to a private institution. And so um, difficult, uh, important to have early. So let me ask you guys about this debate, which you actually raised in, in your um, book, about the, the, on the one hand, you have the value of a liberal arts education and, and parents should encourage their children to learn for learning's sake and to not, not enter college and spend every moment of college trying to figure out what kind of job you're going to get because the, the goal is to expand your mind and it's, it's, it's a wonderful place to do that versus the reality of uh, you're going into debt to have this education. You should have some sense of what your aspirations are going out in very early stages before you even go in to have a sense of how large a debt you're going to end up with and whether that should impact what school you go to. I mean, you, you referenced someone in, in the book that sort of talked about it was such a privilege and a luxury to be able to not think about what job you wanted. But but as, as one who benefited from a liberal arts education, I, I strongly, um, I, 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 I am not as much in favor of having to decide ahead of time that you have to get a job that pays X and that coloring your entire college career. How do you guys think about this? Well, I think some of this goes to the start of the book that, that Jacques and I, as we were discussing the outline for the college conversation, is we questioned at the beginning, why college? Hmm. And so we didn't dive right into, okay, this is, you know, even before the index card, it was really thinking about, you know, what are the options for an individual who's leaving high school, leaving secondary school, and recognizing the multiple paths that are available. And so by the time you get to this, you know, I'm going to college, it's going to be a four-year college, what do I study? You already have some sense that the experience matters. Yes, there's still going to be conclusions, outcomes, return on investment. But you've already had this mindset that this is what I want to pursue because I do understand that the future is completely uncertain and that there's a value to this education that's going to be durable and not so specific training. And we talk about training. We talk about technical institutions as an opportunity to go into you know, jobs that you, you could see them right now. I wish I had some of them as we're like living at home and doors are breaking and water's coming through the sea, like everything that's happening. and because they're real skills, while also thinking about through a four-year degree, there's going to be courses that are more, more practical. The liberal arts and sciences has utilitarian value to it. Now, on top of that, you may know how to code or have some other skill set. It's the combination of both that we think is going to be the most durable. And, and at the least, we want families to talk about this early. And uh, the three of us uh, are, pro are products of a liberal arts education. And uh, it taught us arguably how to think, how to write, how to ask questions, how to be a citizen. Um, you know, as a history major, which uh, taught me uh, how to write and prepared me for a career in journalism, nonfiction writing. Um, I think that it's important, though, as, as families look at the fifth C cost, um, if a student knows that they are interested in engineering, um, that they've got that passion heading in um, to the extent it's possible to know as an 18-year-old, um, that can inform how much debt 
uh, that the student and family might want to take on because it's knowable what those careers pay in the first five years out of college. And you can build that into your financial. Um, if you are thinking um, that you want to do something that's a little softer, uh, teaching, uh, journalism, um, that knowledge and, and what the income might be in the first five years can also inform uh, the cost. And, and maybe that steers you toward a particular institution because um, knowing what you're going to have to pay back that debt um, will, will inform choices. So it's, uh, we certainly, we wanna be uh, practical um, in terms of, of, of job prospects. And it, it's Charlie Javis uh, from uh, an, an organization called Frank, who is really articulate in the book on this, mm -hmm. about looking at potential careers. And, and for those listening, students or, or parents of students, um, if, if your child has no idea what they want to study in college, uh, that's more than okay. That's in large part the purpose of that education. Um, but, but some really do, and, and some of these data points can be helpful on cost. So just to, to wrap this up, it really seems that it's so valuable to have these cost conversations, these college cost conversations early, even though they're uncomfortable, even though, as you said, it might be the first time. And, and I would encourage parents not to be defensive about this or, you know, some people feel like what they make and how much they have is many people feel it's very private and, and you're sharing this information um, reluctantly. But sharing your the sharing the information about your your thinking about the costs and, and what you can afford can be really helpful, not only to help choose where you're going, but if the student understands that his family is making an investment in their education, it might motivate them on those days in college when they have to decide whether they really feel like doing something or not. <laughs> but I do think it's healthy and practical for them to have some understanding that there, there, there's an investment being made, which um, you're mature enough to be a part of understanding. And you may, if you're working on campus for work study or whatever, you may have to take a role in paying for the education. So I, it, it, it's again, I think it's really great to start this before you're looking at the acceptance and dealing with the reality of, of a particular school. So we're going to throw, I, we're going to throw a, a little curveball into this on you, Carol, because okay. Jacques came up with a six C. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, a, a temporary C, but uh, the, the six C is probably the coronavirus, oh. sadly. And so as you think about the rubric of, of things that you're looking at, community, culture, cost, conclusions, um, uh, curriculum, um, how about throwing in a category, sadly, for, for juniors and, and families of juniors, um, what are the various ways that the coronavirus um, helps you uh, size up a college or university? It may be something as basic as their admissions policies. We are now test optional for this fall. Um, but also, um, this may have changed your calculation as a family in terms of distance. You know, a year ago, we were happy to get on that six-hour plane ride. But, you know, knowing what we know now, maybe that four-hour car ride is the radius. So it shouldn't dominate mm -hmm. um, the conversation, but it, it certainly could be a factor. How, um, how strict um, is that campus expecting to be in the fall in terms of on-campus learning? Um, maybe it makes you rethink that uh, that university with the 80,000 uh, capacity uh, football stadium. Um, or, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're taking that long view that we talked about at the outset and, and okay, for the first year I can weather it and, and then hopefully we'll all sort of be in the clear. But at least um, to note it, to surface it, to, to elevate it. It's an unfortunate 6C, but I think it's really important. Families have been together for a year and it may really have changed the dynamic. Everything looks a little different. And so it's really important to figure out how that impacts the college process. Uh, the, the final thing I want to talk about is um, something that you raise in your book and it's so under discussed in the college application process. And it's the transition process. It's the fact that once you're in, you're not done. I mean, you're once you even made the decisions where you're going, there's still, as you guys say in the book, a bit of a road from that day after you know where you're going to college to the end of your first year. Eric, you you've you've been on that side. Is it true that colleges really do watch what happens after they admit you? You can't just like stop the next day and stop going to class. 
Absolutely. And the, you know, there's two frames here. You know, one is we want students to be ready once they enter college. And so they've made it this far. It's not time to completely let down. Uh, Maybe some deceleration. They've been stressed. We want to recognize that while also let's finish the year out and and, and make sure that you're ending on, on, on a high note. The other piece here, and then I'll turn to Jacques because the, tra- the full transition was really, you know, something that he ran with is, you know, in this age of social media and a lot of families, tens of thousands of families not celebrating those students who were admitted, but thinking about those that were not admitted, you know, just m- making sure that students from a discipline side, and this is big in the news right now, the common application won't have discipline questions on the application anymore, uh, starting with, with next year's platform. So, you know, just making sure that that students, as they're continuing to live their young lives, that, you know, some mistakes that they make that get amplified through social media, that they're not now jeopardizing something that they work so hard for. I actually want to just pick up on that for just a second, because it's two things. I mean, social media, you can tell your children, social media is not your friend when you are in this process, any part of the process. And so there, there are two things. One, sort of being a responsible citizen, you should not um, crow or, I mean, you should really take your life experiences. Um, you should think very carefully about how you display what's happening for you now under the knowing well that it's not happening the same for everyone else. But also, it's not just you and your social media. Since it's social, it's public. People can take what you have put on your social media and send it to the admissions office. And they do. <laughs> and so students do and parents do. <laughs> I mean, this it, it's 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 amazing and 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 kind of sad, but true that just because they think all of their friends are cool and nobody would rat them out, <laughs> it's the universe is much bigger than um just your friends and um the fury of a parent who's for whom's child it didn't work out is is uh big so <laughs> so just know i mean you could parents you can tell your children that this actually happens it's it's not a myth <laughs> but um jock do you want to talk a little bit more about the the transition process what else parents can do to help yeah i mean we we wanted to make sure we we say at the point in the book uh where your child finds out where they're going to college makes their deposit um that they as parents are not done with eric and me yet and uh, that we want to be there with them through the end of the first year um we want to arm you as parents to be able to sort your child support your child through that summer before they go away, then while they actually go away, and and to be checking in, again, co-create rules on when are you going to check in, how are you going to check in, no one knows your child as well as you do, um, you're going to hear things on the phone, you're going to see things, FaceTiming and Zooming, um, about that'll give you a sense of how they're doing, are they feeling overwhelmed, are they happy, are, are they sad, are they depressed, and in particular, um, when they come home at Thanksgiving or Christmas, um, they may well say to you that uh, they're not happy to the point that they want to transfer. And um, Eric and I spend some time in the book um, talking about what we call the transfer conversation, really some some prompts to ask your child to get a sense of whether um, it's a, a case that they haven't made friends or they haven't found the right activity, or, or maybe uh, this isn't quite the right situation for them. You make the best decision you can as a student and family with the choices you have and the information you have, but ultimately you can't know uh, before you go. And um, and I am the parent of a transfer, and uh, there are many of us out there, there are many transfer students. I think it's certainly possible, Eric, that as a result of the sixth C, the coronavirus, um, that there may be more students transferring because uh, they didn't have the opportunity to visit places or maybe they chose to stay close to home the first year. Maybe they chose um, community college and what have you. And we really wanted to arm families for what we describe as the transfer conversation. And it's important for those listening to know transfer is not failure. Transfer is empowering. And uh, and sometimes um, your child changes from the moment they put in that deposit to the moment they show up on campus or maybe as a result of being on campus. This is a teenage brain um, and, and a teenage person. And uh, so um, 
it was really important to us uh, to 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 have families know that that's uh, a potential outcome and and it's one that can be worked through. You you guys have a really helpful list of of kinds of conversations that parents should be having with their children and about this transition. And and one that really uh, rung true to me was defining failure and success. So many of us, you know, our children work so hard in high school and they, they um, go off with an expectation that they're going to do as well in college as they did in high school. If they're going to a very academically rigorous college, they're going to be surrounded by people who all expect to be at the top of their class. So invariably, there's going to be a point at which they're going to find out that they're not the smartest person in the room. <laughs> if they ever were, they are not now. Um, and I'm, I think it's really helpful for parents to be able to send their children off with an understanding that failure and success, as they have viewed it in high school, it's different in college. I mean, there, there's, it, it has as much to do with your work outside the classroom as it does in the classroom. Um, having said that, though, I would also say that it's helpful to have a conversation when you can set some sort of expectations. And I don't mean specific grade expectations, but an expectation that the purpose in college is to do the absolute best you can, the best effort. Um, I, I think some parents are so relieved that this process is over and they send their child off and everybody's all smiles. And it becomes tough if the child doesn't do as well as they thought and they 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 don't want to tell their parents. It, it, it becomes complicated. And that actually... There's one other thing I want to say before I ask you guys about this. It's really important that early on after your child is in that you have the, the, the conversation about access to two things, medical records and grades. Now, every student has the ability to not give you access. They do not have to. <laughs> and so I would suggest having this conversation when everybody's very happy <laughs> and, and right, not before, not as you're dropping them off. And I say that because well, the medical one's pretty easy. I mean, you know, it's it's a terrible thing that you can't know when your child is is sick because the rules are they can't contact you unless the child is gives you permission, and God forbid the child be unable to do that. But the great thing, I, I personally speaking, I insisted that all my children give me access. I never took it. The goal was not to see how they were doing, but if they had gotten into any real trouble, to your point, Jacques, if they got depressed, if there was something that was really, if I couldn't get from them what was troubling them, it's really helpful from a parent's perspective to know what's going on and not having access to any of that information can be very frustrating. Well, I, I think the, the the continuum of secondary school to college through this lens of the transition, but then also another guardrail that Jacques and I always talk about is, and you framed it perfectly, Carol, is what are the expectations? And it really is about not just showing up, but doing the best that you can. And that may sound like a luxury position to have. Everything's not going to happen just because you put the best effort in, but that is the expectation. And then the other pieces to follow, let, let's face it, all the greats in science, in writing, the number of times our book was edited, and I'm not putting us in that, in that category. <laughs> the reality is most things don't work out the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time. And I know in the, the final maybe seven to eight years that I was at Penn, just trying to convince a group of high achieving students who had those types of expectations that, you know, you're going to stumble and that may be reflected in a grade that may be reflected in not getting into the acapella group that you wanted to get into or, you know, some other group that you really strive for. So it, it really is a challenge, though. And this is where I'll you know, take so much responsibility being in college admissions for such a long period of time is we set a certain expectation that you're going to do these things, you get into college, and then we say, okay, it's all right. Uh, no, failure is okay, but just don't get an F. Okay, right? <laughs> and so as adults, we have to, you know, really think about what it is that we're trying to communicate and make sure that our children and that young people have that understanding that it doesn't always work out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And then the flip side of that is the schools have a lot of resources and we can encourage our children to use them. Um, a lot of resources to help with the school expects that not everybody's going to get everything. There are tutoring programs, there's academic resources. And that's another one of the things that you guys talk about in terms of, of success and failure. 
Well, guys, you know, we've only covered just a teeny bit of your book, but it's it's a really such a wonderful resource. I'm, I was thrilled to be a part of it, a teeny part of it, but you guys have done such a good service because it's lovely to have a guide to know what questions to ask. We don't know what we don't know. <laughs> and so you guys right. have done a great job in helping us figure that out. And now I'm going to wrap it up, but I'm going to ask you guys to please play my GCP bonus round. I have two quick questions. One is, and, and you know, you can divide these up. <laughs> you can divide them up amongst the two of you. A favorite poem and two favorite children's books. Does anyone have a favorite poem? Jacques, the writer that you are? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit of a cliche poem, but it, it's so apropos to what we're talking about here. The the Robert Frost, uh, you know, stopping by uh, woods on a snowy evening, you know, two ver two roads diverged in the in the wood, and uh, we're talking about choices and 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 possibilities and and what lays down, you know, what what lies down various paths, and uh, that. Uh, that that poem has has always spoken to me as has has Robert Frost in particular. That's great. That's great. Eric, would you like to submit a poem or contribute a poem, or do you want to talk about children's books? You have littler ones, so you may be closer to the children's book arena. That, that, that's right. Well, uh, actually, for for a poem, and I know it's used usually for other circumstances. It's become adopted to be used for other circumstances. But Reinhold Niebuhr, you know, in, in this college process, you know, God, give me the strength. I think that applies <laughs> in a lot of different ways in life and what we're facing right now in life. So, again, know that it was adopted for other circumstances, but I, I think we need that strength every day. And, you know, thinking of books, maybe it's more of what I enjoyed than my children, but Winnie the Pooh, you know, the free loving Tigger, love, you know, the bouncy one. And I, I just think all the personalities that come across there are, you know, relevant today. <laughs> absolutely. You know, I'd not thought about Winnie the Pooh in a while, but you're absolutely right. You've got Tigger bouncing off the walls. You've got Eeyore, who is just, <laughs> oh, we're, all um... little, we're all channeling some Eeyore these days. <laughs> I'm going to have to pull that one off the shelf and, and look at it again. <laughs> So I thank you guys so much. Thank you for being with me. It's so great to see you again. And best of luck with the college conversation. I urge everyone listening to get a copy, even if you're not quite the college parent yet. It talks about middle school. But thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. What a pleasure. You've been such great guests. And I thank you so much, Eric and Jacques, for taking the time to be here today. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. For more parenting info and advice, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at groundcontrolparenting.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. The Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast is a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartMedia. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.